Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Using data to gain customer insights can be difficult. Using gain customer insights from an ever-growing, ever-changing entertainment audience presents a much steeper challenge. In this episode, Elizabeth Stone, VP Data and Insights at Netflix, explains how her dedicated team reflects the larger Netflix culture, balancing hard data with a mindset of learning and experimentation to make decisions that improves the Netflix experience. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. So Elizabeth, welcome to the Data Chief. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And where are you joining us from today? I live in Northern California, a little bit south of San Francisco. So I've been sort of the receiver of a lot of the rain and wild storms the first few months of this year. So kind of up in the hills here and uh, a little bit closer to the ocean than some of the valley towns like Palo Alto, Menlo Park, Los Gatos. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I, I know it's been brutal out there in California the last few months. I hope you're okay. But I'm also thinking of oh, how yes, beautiful it is there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is beautiful. I like to feature a little greenery in my background. It helps get through the day. Yeah. It, yeah. The view out your window, for those of us watching on, on uh, YouTube, it looks beautiful. So Elizabeth, I feel like I should start by asking you, what are you watching on Netflix at the moment? <laughs> so a new series called The Night Agent uh, is incredible. So my husband and I started the very classic binge watching of that earlier this week. So what's so funny, I am, I am usually not up to date with anything. And as I was prepping for this interview, I saw The Night Agent is the number one show. And I'm like, yes, we are four episodes in. I'm finally cool. It's only taken me 40 years. Finally watching something popular. Yes. Uh, I was going to ask you what you're watching on Netflix, but in my own experience, I work at Netflix and my mind blanks sometimes when people ask me. Yeah. And so I don't want to trigger a, oh, I'm not sure if that title's on Netflix or one of the competitive services, which can create some awkwardness in conversation, but excited to hear about The Night Agent. It's gotten great reviews so far. Yeah. In fact, it's causing a problem because normally midweek, I'll say we can only watch one, yeah. one episode of anything. And last night I'm like, oh, it's not that late. Let's let's go for another one. And it, it left us at a cliffhanger. I, no spoiler alerts here. Yeah. So we stayed up later than I normally do. That's the amazing thing about Netflix in some ways, especially the series on Netflix, that when you find something you love, you can keep going. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your role at Netflix and your journey there in the data space. Sure. Yeah. So I lead the data and insights team at Netflix. 
that's a, a centralized team that includes a lot of different flavors of data and research practitioners. So some examples are analytics, experimentation, causal inference, machine learning, data engineering, and also consumer-facing research, both to inform the product experience and the content offering. And so it's pretty unusual, I think, as far as I know from other companies, especially in the technology space, that those different flavors of skill sets are together in one organization, but it's been pretty powerful for us. And the team supports an incredible number of areas across the business. So both things you might expect and come quickly top of mind, like the content space, the product space, also the growth space, how we think about pricing, plan structures, now games, ads, also our studio production capabilities. So we really get this nice perspective of both a depth of a lot of different data skills and a lot of breadth in the type of business problems that we think about. And I've been at Netflix three years, almost three years exactly. I joined in April 2020, early days of the COVID pandemic. Okay, so happy anniversary. I feel like we should say that. Thank you. And yes, <laughs> the breadth of what you're doing is quite broad. So when you, in a lot of organizations, let's say non, non-digital organizations, data is often an afterthought. Hmm. And it's not just, you use the word insights, it's not just the analytics, it's also the machine learning and the algorithm. So that is quite broad. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the things it requires is an ability to work with a lot of different types of partners and stakeholders across the company. So our role in that space is really what information and insights about audiences and viewing preferences and how certain titles resonate, help creative leaders make even better decisions, but it's very judgment driven in that space as well. So we have to have this balance of the art and the science. And then there's parts of the business like the consumer facing product space, very technology heavy, a lot of partners who are extremely fluent in data and really leverage data deeply to say, let's test this feature in an A-B experiment before we roll it out. Let's be very specific about the metrics that we're using to understand engagement, for example. And so we need to kind of have different flavors of hats where we wanna be helpful to the decision-making across the company and we wanna be thought leaders in how we think about what our opportunities are and how to actually capture them. But we have to be nuanced too. And I think what I've found in my experience is that's how you get included in more of the decision-making and more of the kind of top of mind questions when you can be sort of flexible and fluid about how we're going to use the data in a creative way without strangling, especially at an entertainment company like Netflix, the creative process that's so important. Yeah. um, A creative company and one that has been at the forefront of a lot of innovation but one that also continues to be under competitive pressures. Maybe take us through an example, whatever you're allowed to or willing to share, of how you might use that data. Maybe it's, and it's maybe figuring out what content somebody like me or maybe my cooler kids would be wanting (laughs) to consume (laughs) on Netflix. Yeah. So, I I mean, the data comes in in a lot of ways, maybe to make it 
kind of easy to follow the thread. We tend to talk about it as pitch to play in the places where data enters and ensures that we deliver the best possible experience to members. And so that includes the insights I mentioned of things that are very traditional in the entertainment space, like content screenings. How do we get input early on about what's working and what's not for creative leaders to consider when thinking about their title development? And then once we're actually in production for a title, you start to think about what are the things we need to do using the data to make sure that this content is accessible, sometimes globally, when we put it on the product. Yeah. So we would use data to inform things like, what languages do we want to have subtitles or dubs in? What do we think the demand is going to be for certain types of languages? And how can we deliver that? It's basically a technology feature in a really seamless way in the member experience. So that's understanding a little bit about language preferences as one example. And then once the title launches on the service, we really try to use essentially the data we know about your past viewing to do the best job we can to recommend the right title for you in that moment. And so that's where you think about our recommendation algorithms or our search algorithms so that we do the best job we can kind of surfacing the parts of the catalog that we think are going to be most interesting for you. And we use data also to think about how should we structure things like the homepage to reduce the amount of time it takes for you to choose which title you want to watch. So think about things kind of concretely like top 10 row. Yeah, We got a lot of feedback from consumers saying, I wish I had some sense of what other people were watching. And what's popular right now? Or, you know, people at work can't stop talking about this title and I didn't see it on my homepage. And it's really kind of word of mouth driven. So the top 10 row was something that we tested in response to member feedback and have found that it's a really nice entry point for people who are kind of curious. Night Agent's a great example. Number one in the US today. Oh, I think I'll give that a try. But there's also rows on the homepage that are more about your past preferences and things that we think that you're going to like, given that. And then we collect some information from you to make better decisions in the future. So think about the thumbs ratings as one example. That's a feature we've developed over time, added a double thumbs up for when you really love a title. You know, you don't just like it. It really kind of struck a chord with you. And we use that information in our recommendations as well of, oh, Cindy loved this title. Let's find other titles that are going to be similar for her. So even through that whole life cycle of producing the content, coming up with subtitles, dubs, artwork, trailers, and then making recommendations, data is there the whole way through. Yeah. So it does sound like data is there the whole way through. And even um, I was reading on the Netflix blog about it's even through to the viewing experience. So you have viewers from around the world and hundreds of different devices, whether it's the laptop, the Mm. phone, the phone over 5G or over over wired um, or even low bandwidth. And so I, I, and for those listening, I do think there's so much great content on your team's blog on what you're doing to innovate here. Um, maybe do you want to describe a little bit on how you're using machine learning to understand and improve that viewing experience? 
Yeah, and there's actually a lot of different flavors of data work that goes into that machine learning, experimentation, analytics. Uh, so the, the way we summarize all that work is really thinking about quality of experience. So how long does the title take to load? How many rebuffers do you have to suffer through? What's the video quality that you see on your screen? And those things are much more complex than you might expect on the service. We actually hope most members don't even think about it because the experience is so high quality. But in the background, we're looking at things like each title is essentially a set of files where the video, the audio, the subtitles are encoded into files. And we have to think about how do we best deliver those files to the end device where the member's going to be watching. And that's a tough problem when you think about the fact that we're delivering these files globally. So many years ago, Netflix made a very innovative decision and bet, which was to build what we call Open Connect, which is our own content delivery network, working very closely with internet service providers, ISPs. And so we do a lot of optimization to think about where exactly do we want those files to be located on servers across the globe so that when a member clicks play, we were kind of anticipating there's going to be some demand for the title in this location. So it could be we think someone's going to click play in Italy. How do we make sure these encoded files are both optimized to deliver over the internet and kind of local so you don't have to wait very long? I'm, I'm sure we've all experienced kind of the beach ball moment, especially on some of the other services or on your laptop. The buffering. Where it's like, what's going on <laughs> yeah. here? Is it my TV? Is it the internet? Yeah. So we try to reduce that through that optimization. So it's encoding optimization and it's also kind of traffic optimization for how we send these data files over a pretty complex global network. Yeah, that is fascinating. So living in rural New Jersey, where we do not have good, stable internet, um, I have a greater appreciation for everything that's going on behind the scenes and where those files are actually coming from. If I think about the scale of the services that Netflix delivers, and the degree that insights are used throughout that performance, that viewer performance. I think about the role that the culture plays in the degree that you're innovating, using open source technologies, creating your own platform sometimes. Tell me a little bit about the culture and how that plays out. Yeah, it's a great question. So much of Netflix's culture was shaped 20 plus years ago by Reed Hastings, um, who certainly is, is legendary both as founder and until recently co-CEO of Netflix, uh, but also just as an amazing leader and disruptor. And I think that that embedded in the Netflix culture from early days that we don't want to be fearful of placing big bets. We want to be constantly pushing ourselves to be more innovative and certainly more excellent over time. And we want to use data and analytical thinking to really try to make the best decisions we can. And that, in some ways, Netflix culture kind of embodies the set of values that Reed brought to Netflix in really early days. And amazingly, we've sustained a lot of that culture which means that unlike some other companies I've worked at, 
you don't really need to fight and kind of have sharp elbows to say, I think we should look at some of the data and insights before we make a decision. In most rooms, it's the first question that someone would ask of what do we know about this that's going to help us make a better decision? If we're going to place a big innovative bet in some way, what gives us some confidence that it's going to go in a direction that's positive for us? But balancing that with data not always being enough and we need some judgment. We don't always have the perfect data to answer every question. Yeah, You can't predict which title is going to be a hit as much as we wish we could. There are things that are just always imperfect about it. And so the Netflix culture also expects a lot of judgment. And we expect that at every level of the organization. So there, there's kind of catchphrases that show up in our public culture memo that sort of embody those values. So things like freedom and responsibility in how you think about your accountability for the outcomes and the great degree of autonomy or independence you have in decision-making. Also things like context, not control. So leaders should not be micromanaging. We should actually be expecting our teams to bring great ideas to the table. They're often very close to the context. So they're able to say, I think this is a bet we should make or I think we should think about this way to innovate or question the status quo in some ways. And then we also have a cultural value around closely aligned, loosely coupled, which means we want to all feel like we understand what we're trying to achieve and what our end goals are. Really, that's about the member experience and how we can continue to improve that and be grounded enough in what our strategy is that independent groups can make decisions without needing to feel like we need consensus-driven decision-making. It really slows you down. It means some groups are less willing to take some risk because you might have to jump through a lot of hoops to get approvals. And we've really tried to avoid those things and have process and kind of ways to evaluate the quality of decision-making where it makes sense, which I think is very important that it's not everywhere in a way that kind of limits our velocity and learning and experimentation and innovation. So it's all so closely kind of interwoven in the way we think about the culture and the way data and innovation shows up throughout the company. Yeah. So you don't want analysis paralysis. For sure not. You want that agility. There were two things on the website um, that I just loved (laughs) that I wish every company had is uh, share information openly broadly and deliberately. And the second that you just referred to, a valued behavior judgment, you use data to inform your intuition and choices. So intuition is valued, but supported by data. That's right. Is it hard to strike that balance? In some ways, always, right? Because even as a deep data practitioner, I try to be very careful to be balanced in not limiting the bets we make to things we can perfectly measure or things that we can run a perfect A-B experiment on to get a read on whether it's a good idea. And so I try to be a strong voice of the balance of the two, but also when I see situations that feel like they're a little bit too far on the spectrum of intuition to say, do we have data or do we have research or could we do some Mm. that would just give us more confidence about whether our intuition is right? And so it's even for someone like myself who is relatively more comfortable with the power of data, 
and values that judgment that we have in our culture, I think you always have to kind of reflect, do we have the right balance as we're making certain decisions along the way? And that's a place in which the Netflix culture is also pretty powerful, that it encourages reflection and constant learning. And an environment that values that means that you take a step back sometimes to say, do we think we've got the right balance of data and intuition? Where do we think maybe we're being too incremental in our thinking versus being bolder based on our judgment about something? And so it's never kind of done. It's it's a balancing act that we're always trying to practice at Netflix. Yeah. And so some you also referred to sometimes you don't have the data or maybe the data is incomplete or biased. So in circumstances like that, are you also bringing in external data or how are you augmenting what you have versus what you don't know? One of the most concrete ways that shows up is we have so much internal data about a member's viewing history that we use to make the best recommendations. But we don't want to be entirely insular when we think about, are we adequately serving our members' needs? And more specifically, how do we think about how well we're doing versus competitive entertainment options? Yeah. And that's a place where we do try to bring in external data from lots of sources, some of which are public, some of which are things that we would buy as a supplement to the information that we have just to really make sure we understand that broader entertainment landscape. What are people watching? What are people watching across different types of services? So one example would be Nielsen, who really tracks a lot of viewing data across a lot of different types of entertainment services, just to make sure that we're grounded in the direction things are heading in terms of consumer preferences. And that's also a balance because you wouldn't want to be overly distracted or consumed by what are the competitors doing and what titles do they have and how well did they do? Because we're always going to do better by focusing on how can we better serve our members? It's been a really nice, powerful rallying cry internally. So it's another place where we strike a balance between having that external information about other entertainment options with what we observe internally with our titles and members. Yeah. So you always want to retain your members um, and grow the share of entertainment time with them. But then it sounds like the external data fills in the unknowns or maybe the viewers that you don't have yet or as large a share. Yeah, that's right. Elizabeth, you also referred to this journey of um, from, from pitch to product and the different teams that you have to bring together as you're leveraging insights. So tell us a little bit about how, where your team sits and how you're organized with these different stakeholders. Yes. So you could think about consumer product management leaders, studio product management leaders, now advertising as a new business area that Netflix has entered not to mention the large content organization, the marketing organization, communications organization. And so we are really mostly functionally organized, including my team, but we consider it kind of a matrix structure. And so my job is to make sure we're adequately resourcing priorities across all those spaces I mentioned. So consumer product, games, ads, the content organization, 
The same would be true for my engineering partners and so on. And so we have to be very deliberate in how we think about, do we have the same objectives and goals? How do we think about planning and resourcing across the teams? Because we don't have what some other companies have, which is more of a general manager model where you have these cross-functional teams brought together under a single leader that sort of end-to-end delivers on a certain business or product line. So we've tried to maintain that matrix structure, which just, it requires extra communication cycles about, do we think we have the right priorities and resourcing? The benefit is you can drive a lot of functional excellence in each of those spaces. So I consider it part of my role to make sure we're exceptional at data engineering, data science, consumer research, and so on. Our engineering leader feels the same way about the engineering organization. So we get a lot of benefit through that functional organization and extra effort to make sure we're aligned across all these stakeholders. Yeah. So Elizabeth, I do support and believe in the federated model, a hybrid model, Mm. so that you don't have the silos reinventing the wheel. And and I actually go back, so this is very much before your time, but one of the first books I wrote, uh, Successful BI, I had the privilege of interviewing Eric Coulson and Andrew Dempsey, who were at Netflix at the time. At the time that Netflix was just starting the streaming business. Um, And so there was this debate on how to organize. And it was the first time the centralized team said, we need different resources between the DVD team, if that even still exists, I don't know, and the streaming business unit, different technologies. But you use the word having adequate resources. And I don't know any data leader that feels that they have (laughs) adequate resources to meet all the competing requirements. So I don't know, do you have, is it, is it about ruthless prioritization or do you really have all the resources you want? Um, That's a very fair point. It's never quite adequate. I would always advocate for more, but I also see my role as a leader at Netflix in financial responsibility and making sure that we don't feel like we need to scale the data and insights organization bigger and bigger and bigger every year, that we also do some hard work to prioritize. I think if we're doing our jobs well, there's always going to be a greater demand for the skills on my Mm -hmm. team than we can possibly deliver to the business. And we are squarely there every day. There's somebody asking me, why can't we have more dedicated for this, that, or the other thing? And I, I think part of my role with all my partners is to say, if we want more there, where are we going to do less in order to actually make sure we're thinking about what projects and efforts and investments are highest impact to the business? And it, it's something I take very seriously as part of my role of just a constant evaluation of, does this still seem like the return on a resourcing investment makes sense given the impact it can drive? And my whole team thinks that way, which is the other amazing thing about Netflix culture. It's not just like I sit here thinking, should we move people around? People at every level of the organization are thinking, am I working on the most impactful thing I could be working on right now? And they feel that same pull from partners saying, can we have more here? And then we all have to ask ourselves, well, if we did that, would that be higher impact for the business than what we're already doing? 
And I think the more everyone on the team feels that responsibility, the better. But it, you know, it's easier said than done when you feel like you're getting pulled yeah. in a lot of directions. Yeah. And you're painting a very rosy picture. And yet what I'm picturing is let's say uh, because advertising is new, you have the the lead of advertising fighting over content, the content leader, content is king, saying, well, I this is more important. Um, and the two of them going at it and you trying to please both. So is there a particular process you use? Is it ROI? Is it payback period? Or is it some other economic uh, value assessment to decide what do you do first or right now? So it's more rosy than what you just described. There's not not big fights <laughs> happening among leaders, okay. thankfully. Oh my gosh. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> let me reflect on why that is. A little bit is the cultural expectations for how we make decisions. Um, for mature spaces, just to kind of get at your, your question about how do we actually make those decisions. Yeah. For mature spaces, we do have a better sense through metrics and other machinery we've built to understand the business to be able to make some trade-offs. So you might say that like within the content organization, our chief content officer, Bella Baharia, is constantly working with her leaders to say, do we think we've allocated money in the right way based on what it's delivering? We can do some of the same types of questions in the product space of, do we think we're making the right bets based on the return we're getting in member engagement or retention over time? So there are spaces where we have metrics that allow us to make pretty good, not perfect ROI calculations, but a sense of value. And then there's other spaces where this is where the judgment comes into play. And it's less about a, a almost false precision about being able to estimate ROI before we're deeply in a space. Yeah. And it's more about what's the process to align that this is a good bet for us to make. And there's some dollar amount that we feel like based on the insights we have, the judgment we apply, this makes sense to spend here. So games would be one example of that. Ads is now another space. It's a way to increase the value of what we're delivering to members or to give members more choice in what they get from Netflix. And that's the trickiness of, can we get a line that this is the right strategic bet? Once we're there, you yeah, you have resourcing decisions to make, but you've taken the fight out of, it's not about proving my area is more important than yours anymore. We've collectively decided you might have to disagree and commit another Netflix value that we're going to move forward. And then we do kind of a, a lighter process cycle to make sure the resources are aligned. One of the things I most enjoy about Netflix is we don't do a lot of busy, busy work trying to calculate we have 0.2 people here and we've got 0.7 person working over here and let's try to optimize that versus do we roughly feel like we've got resources in the right place? And then can we be agile enough when we get a sense that we're not in the right place to shift quickly in thinking about problem spaces? And that's another place where my whole team and many other teams need to just be open-minded of, oh, we're shifting, let's move quickly. And then you don't have to be quite so down to the penny on everything if you know we're in kind of a constant iteration process. Um, and I think a lot of this also speaks to the types of leaders that tend to succeed at Netflix. If you're the type of person who's going to end up in a fight about why did they get more money than I got, it just doesn't fit with the cultural expectations versus doing what we think is best for the overall business, even if it's not 
to my advantage for my team or for another team's advantage. Yeah. So Elizabeth, I'm picturing those data and analytic leaders and even business leaders, um, lines of business leaders listening to this thinking, oh, I wish, I wish I didn't have to (laughs) justify everything to the nth degree. But I'm also, so I, I do, I have been reading about the Netflix culture this mindset of everyone is an owner, I suspect helps with that. But I'm also thinking, and maybe this is how and why you went to Netflix, there's a job in your background that I think makes you also more well-suited to this, having been a, a chief operating officer before. So you have that bigger impact and cross-functional understanding do you agree with that or and tell us tell us a little bit more about that role? Yeah, it, it's an interesting connection you make. It, in many ways my previous work experience is not traditional for a, a data science data engineering leader. Um No. So it, it's both the chief operating officer role which was at a health startup about 6 years ago now and it was such a great learning experience because it was essentially a nice partnership between myself and the CEO of the company that my focus would be on internal execution across all of the cross-functional teams, which meant I was moving from a role where I was leading the data science team to then managing engineering, product management, HR, legal, recruiting, all these different flavors of things. And you have to figure out quickly how you're going to learn about functions that you don't know deeply you have to learn quickly how you're going to leverage people who report to you all of a sudden and know certain spaces much more deeply than you do. And it really taught me how all of these different functions come together and how you can kind of step back to make decisions about, do we feel like we're heading in the right direction from a strategy perspective? And what do we need to do to get everybody rowing in the same direction? So I think that that role was incredibly eye-opening for just the complexity of running a business. It was a much smaller company in earlier days, but you still get a lot of that flavor. And I would say the other role that has been really helpful to me is before being in technology, I was in the finance and economics industry. And so that brings a certain way of thinking about business and business outcomes and strategy that, yes, is always informed by data, but is a little bit more about, do we think we're making the right decisions to drive both member experience in Netflix's case, but also shareholder value and how we think about growing a business? And so while I'm in a very technology-driven role now, I think having a finance background helps me do a better job connecting what problems are we answering on the data and insights team with what's going to drive the business forward. So it's just given me a better business framing in addition to the depth of the data work. Yeah. And so that is a unique background. Um, And just to give you context, as I was recently at the Gartner Data and Analytics Conference, they, from one survey, 69% of data leaders are not comfortable articulating the value or the business outcomes of the work they're doing in data. Interesting. Which I think is abysmal, abysmal. Yeah. Yeah. 
lots of room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a very interesting statistic. Yeah. yeah. So, so clearly we have to tell them to take some economics classes or there's there's some really good books on this. But I also think about you, it's not just the economics background, the COO role in data, healthcare. So the company you were working with, Medicaid payments, if I remember correctly. That's right. Healthcare tends to be one of the unfortunately, sadly, less mature analytically organizations than, for example, media, uh, where you are now, or even um, Lyft, your previous organization. So tell us a little bit about these two extremes in degrees of maturity and how that has shaped your career. Yeah, a lot of people look at the healthcare to transportation to media entertainment and think, what on earth? How did you uh, <laughs> move from one to the other? And th the subject matter and the context is very different. They are remarkably similar in a lot of ways, not because of the maturity of the data, which I agree is quite a bit different. And, and the problems are quite a bit different that we're trying to solve. But there's a common thread, which is how do you create value out of data? Yeah. And it doesn't matter that much where you're starting from. So in healthcare, you're starting from a place where data is very tough to connect. It's very tough to work with. It has all kinds of accuracy issues. There's also different incentives in that industry to drive certain types of outcomes. It's a tough landscape, but the question is the same can we find creative ways to use data that create better outcomes in that case for Medicaid patients that we were working on? And Lyft is how do we creatively use data to create a high functioning, very efficient marketplace between riders and drivers, kind of a core set of economic problems. And Netflix, how do we creatively use data to make the best content and product decisions we possibly can for our members? All of it requires a skill set where you say like, yes, I, I need to know statistics. I need to know basic data visualization. I need to know machine learning and algorithms. But what I need to be much better at and my teams need to be much better at is let's be realistic about where we're starting from and think about what would be most impactful to move this forward if we were to better leverage the data that we have. And it's the skill set I most value. So yes, on top of the skills I listed, but it, it's mostly like, what's the problem we really need to solve here? How can we be creative about how we solve it? And that to me is, it. it's helped me so much across these three more technology oriented roles to always be thinking that way. And in that way, it's it's almost no different than my economics part of my career which was very much, how do you use data to understand what's happened? So when I was working on the financial crisis, what happened in the financial crisis of 2000 to 2009, 2007 to 2009? And it so it, the way I frame the problems has felt remarkably similar, even as the subject matter changes. And back to your 69% statistic for not knowing how to connect the work with the business impact, that's been core to all these roles of like, can we actually draw the line between what we're doing with the data and the impact we drove for the company? And being able to bring that lens to it has also been very consistent across my healthcare, transportation, and media roles. 
Yeah. So I have, I have hopes for the industry. I think sometimes it's just a shift from data being an afterthought to now more a forethought, or as Randy Bean, the author of Fail Fast, Learn Faster, calls it, is uh, defensive data leaders to offensive data leaders. And it sounds like you've been at the forefront of always the role of data to create business value. Let's do a hard pivot, okay, Elizabeth, if you're ready, and we'll go right. to some lightning rounds. So okay. favorite activity when you're not working with data? Road cycling. I love being on my bike. Oh, great. Favorite place to ride then? This is part of the reason why we live where we do. There's amazing cycling routes and a huge cycling community in this area. And then my husband and I have done a lot of traveling for cycling trips. So both domestically in the U.S. and internationally. Oh, nice. I feel like I'm going to have to connect you with our CTO who lives in the area because he shared with me that he's doing like these eight mile bike rides in the area that I never realized because it's also quite hilly there. Yes, it is. So if you were CEO of Netflix for a day, what would you tell the data team? In some ways, I'd tell them exactly what I tell them in my current role, which is that the data and the work they're doing is Netflix's competitive advantage. And so it's something I feel so strongly about that we should remember just how critical our work is and how it sets Netflix apart from so many of the competitors. Yeah, for sure. So fill in the blank. Data is? Only part of the equation. You need judgment too. Oh, good. How about chat GPT is? <laughs> Everywhere, <laughs> um, but, but also uh, maybe more seriously transformative would be the word I would use. How about what kind of mentors or books or podcasts do you listen to that has helped you throughout your career? It might sound sort of cliche, but I've never really had formal mentors, I would say, but I've constantly been learning from all the people that are around me in good and bad ways, right? Where you observe things and you think, Mm. oh, that was interesting. I might do that a bit differently, or that was incredible as a set of leadership skills. How do I think about incorporating some of that in how I show up as a leader? And I've, in some ways I've been this way since I was a little kid, mostly observing And so I absorb a lot of that. And I think that's shaped a lot of how I've defined who I want to be as a leader and how I want to approach my role or who I want to be as a human being. And that I'm always kind of careful to say it's not just the people who are my managers or more senior leaders. I learn from my team. I learn from my peers. I learn from people I ride bikes with. Yeah. Um, And that's really been kind of so much source of insight for me, more than in in some ways specific books that I've read over time. Good. So what's something that you have learned not to do as, as you referenced? So I have a personal allergy to what I'll call kind of hierarchy in your openness to where ideas come from. Hmm. And I've observed a lot, thankfully not at Netflix compared to other places I've been, about kind of the highest paid person is the one whose opinion matters the most. 
And I think that's a pretty dangerous way of thinking. And I've observed that kind of firsthand when it's like, oh, what would this person who has only a few years experience know about something? It's like they know a lot and they see a lot, especially from a data perspective. And so I've tried to really adapt my style to listen very carefully to people throughout the organization. It doesn't mean I accept every idea or I, I think it all makes sense, but it's just a way to be both more informed and make better decisions because you get a broader set of input. And I think it makes for a stronger culture if great ideas can come from anywhere. Yeah. The hippos. We don't only want to listen to the hippos. (laughs) I tried not to use that exact phrase versus speaking Ah, it out, but yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) We we didn't name names, so we're safe. (laughs) (laughs) How about a song that pumps you up after a bad day? I listen to a lot of electronic music. Um, I like kind of the upbeatness of it. So I listen to things like Daft Punk and Hot Chip and LCD Sound System. So I find it very energizing. It's also my workout music. So when I'm on my bike, I like that it kind of gets me into a good rhythm. Okay, very good. See, I'm not cool. So I don't, I didn't understand a single word you said there. (laughs) I know air guitar. Does that count? No, not at all. But I'll send you some things to listen to. I'll I'll send you some songs to listen to later. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll add them. We have a data chief playlist, so we'll add that to that. That um, sounds great. And then lastly, Elizabeth, something that maybe has totally made you laugh out loud as we all need to laugh a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I've got a great example that comes to mind, which is My team, the Data and Insights team, has started doing kind of a semi-annual day together, and we do a talent show. Oh. And at that talent show, people will sing, dance, tell stories, and I've gotten in a routine of doing a stand-up comedy skit for my team, which brings me so much joy and laughter. I can't laugh while I'm saying it. I do the deadpan style, perfect sarcasm about things. But I tell kind of stories of experiences I've had at Netflix and ways to kind of poke fun at or roast certain things about the experience that just gets me and my whole team laughing hysterically because you find that you can find so much lightness and humor in things that felt so terrible at the time. And so we have a real lot of fun together as a team. So takes an incredible amount of time to prepare a stand-up comedy routine, but it's become a nice practice for us. Elizabeth, when is this on Netflix? That pitch to play? Let's go. (laughs) I I know. Focus on the Chris Rock special first. (laughs) Um, Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 No, and congratulations on the Netflix Live. I know that was a huge innovation for the entire company. It was. Um, Yeah. But I think we're going to have Elizabeth Stone on live. Well, live (laughs) comedy. There you go. (laughs) Or live data chief. Yeah. Either way. There you go. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the data chief. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was great chatting. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, 
Give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.